Next up on Talk Zone is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Are you concerned about your job? Concerned about losing it? Concerned about not having the tools needed to reinvent your career or to reposition yourself in the workplace? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, or even if you just want to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, then join the conversation right now on Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Now, here are your hosts, Charlie and Eva. Hey, welcome everyone. Um, it is September 12th, Monday, 4 p.m., and we are live. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our mission is to leave no stone unturned to make a difference in our lives, our careers, and the world. It's a good mission. It's a good mission. Today we will kind of focus on all three, but maybe a little more so on the world in general. Um, we have a returning guest, and I guess we could say it's for a reason, and we'll get into that um, in a second. First, um, anything going on, E, that you want to mention? Um, well, there's always a lot going on. We've got our E-Women Network Luncheons coming up. So for those in the Cincinnati area, we have those coming up in Cincinnati and Dayton in the next couple of weeks. And then also, if you are anywhere else in the country, there are chapters all over. So you can check them out at eWomenNetwork.com. Um, so, yeah, and of course, we're available 7 by 24 as well. And you can just find us um charlieandeva.com or info at charlieandeva.com right um you can also go to talkzone.com and find us under the business mm-hmm. channel at um corporate talk with charlie and eva we're also available on itunes and replays are available 24 7 so we have a lot of great content and we're proud of it so that content is out there for everyone and you know let's Keep it close so that we can actually utilize it. Well, and you can also download the free TalkZone app from the Google Play Store, and you could listen to us technically 24-7. And others. And others. Right. But I think you should listen to us. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, again, we have a lot to discuss today. I would love to introduce our very special returning guest, and we're grateful for that. Um, uh, Ellen is a... Author, entrepreneur, speaker, engineer, but most important, I like to say, an environmental advocate. And consultant. And consultant. And she writes for the Huffington Post. She's got a terrific blog on the Huffington Post. Excellent. So, okay. So we would love to introduce our very special returning guest, Ellen Moya. Ellen, are you with us? I am. I'm very excited to be here. I've been looking forward to talking with you again. Yeah, no, thank I'm you so, so glad much. You're here. Um, you know, everything today seems to be very political and um, you know, it just seems like we miss stuff as a result. And I I go I look at the environment and there's so much we could do that we take for granted and you know, we're kind of Lucky to have people like you, Ellen. So maybe first share with us some of what you do and write about and also maybe your website. Great. Um, yeah, I've been uh, involved in 
cleaning up soil and groundwater contamination at hazardous waste sites for about oh, more than 30 years. And in doing that work, I've found how uh, unproductive it is to live the toxic way we've been living and make all these messes and then go clean them up. So I've been gradually getting more into prevention and trying to uh, keep these problems from occurring in the first place. It's just a lot more cost-effective. It's much more fun. Um, mm-hmm. People are happier. Uh, so um, I've been writing on sustainability issues on the Huffington Post, a lot about food. Um, we're the world's top predator, so what we do has huge impacts all the way down the food web. Uh, and I've been writing a lot about forests, uh, we need our forests, and we're, we're losing them. And uh, writing about uh, things that people can do to help out and to have healthier, happier lives at the same time. Hmm. So I hear you about uh, how everything has become political, and we tend to uh, lurch from one crisis to another, usually, um, you know, our house is being flooded, or we have health problems or, you know, some political problem, and we kind of push environmental issues to the side. But it turns out that environmental issues uh, contribute or cause some of these problems we're dealing with. Hmm, For example, if our house is flooding, it could be um, exacerbated by climate change. Or if, if we get cancer, it could be because of the pesticides and contaminants in our food. So I think we need to somehow find a way to, to pay more attention to these issues because once we can solve them, either clean up past messes or prevent future ones, then we, we can spend less time on damage control. And yeah, you know, no one of the things you mentioned earlier was uh, the primitive approach we seem to have taken by default in that we bury our waste and then have to go and clean it up. And it, prevention seems to be the way, right? Yes, yeah, so true. And we're also finding how, how uh, contaminants move around so readily. You know, we can't bury them and they're going to stay put. Uh, they were, are going to get around. Like there's some contaminants that are found in every animal's body, um, even in the most remote places on the planet. So um, when we contaminate the environment, we we contaminate ourselves. So we seem to have this um, concept of we're these self-contained entities, and then the environment is this stuff out there, and there's little interaction uh, between the two, but actually... Uh, we are the environment. You know, we we breathe in air every second or so. We every bite of food we eat, every every sip of water we drink is the environment becoming incorporated into our bodies. So we kind of need an attitude change um, because this idea of separation is very unrealistic. It just uh, doesn't hold up. 
Interesting. You know, I love how you say that because we are, you know, we're all connected and we're so connected to the environment and we're so connected to the earth. And, and it's great when you have people like you that are out there and kind of, you know, telling everyone, you guys, you have to start paying attention. You can't just go to the grocery store with your head down and think that, you know, if you do a little recycling, which, I mean, when we had talked last time, it was, you know, there are small shifts that you can make. But on the other hand, it's like you have to really be aware of what the impact is to the environment. And, you know, one of the things that um, before you came on the show today, you know, we had kind of sent emails back and forth. And to me, I think the biggest eye opener a while ago was about what an impact meat production has on the environment. I don't think that people really understand what a big impact and footprint that has on the environment from the groundwater to, um, you know, antibiotic use and all of that. You know, where should we start talking about that? Because I think that's a really interesting topic. It is. And and I didn't know uh, that much about it until I started looking into it. And then I the numbers were just kind of astronomical. Um, the amount of resources on the earth that go to raising um, animals for meat and dairy is is pretty incredible. And we actually have not only a, a human population growth crisis, but our farm animals, um, their population is growing twice as fast as the human population, and there are about ten times as many animals raised for food as there are people in the world. So it's a really big deal. Uh, so uh, when when we raise animals uh, for food, we're using three-quarters of the world's agricultural land, you know, to grow the food mm. for them and to uh, primarily. And then a third of our fresh water consumption goes to raising animals primarily to grow the food to feed them. And then we're using a huge amount of the, the world's uh, land area. Well, I guess I mentioned that already. Um, but also farm animal production generates about 14% of the total greenhouse gas emissions in the world. Mm-hmm. So the impacts are just uh, staggering. Yeah, <laughs> now, um it almost seems like we're losing the battle to sustain a healthy planet, right? Um, and we need this awareness to to go out to everyone. And, you know, and I know, Ellen, you're an author of multiple books, and um, you're working on a new one now. And tell us where we can get what you have published. Okay, well, the the two books I've published so far are pretty much for a technical audience, so I doubt if many people would really be very interested in them unless they're working on water conservation or um, groundwater cleanup. Um, But the book I'm working on now, which will be out probably in early December, is about how we can create a sustainable world and we can actually enjoy doing it. It's not um, an unpleasant thing, and life will get a lot better, and it's completely doable. So, uh, uh, you know, I it's easy to, to hear all the gloom and doom and think, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think it's good that you're you're bringing it to our level so that the awareness can be really filtered down to everyone, which is a good thing, right? Um, Yeah, well, and and there are analogies in the past, actually. Um, If I could mention one that's pretty dramatic, uh, when we think about London in medieval times in the 1300s, you know, life was pretty tough. Um, people threw their all their waste right into the street, or they would actually have a pipe going from their house to the next door neighbor's basement. You know, just really yeah. horrendous. Yeah. Uh, and it was um, very horrible because it smelled really bad, and it attracted all kinds of uh, rats that had fleas that had the plague. And so half the people died. Um, during that time uh, when the waves of the plague came through. And uh, life expectancy was very short. It was just horrible. And it was, um, along with it, was injustice toward uh, common people and and, um, kind of the income inequality that we see today. And people just got fed up. And they said, we have got to change this, Ordinary citizens raised a ruckus. They documented the problems uh, in, in in these documents that still exist today, and they just said, "We have to change this." And they forced it. Uh, it wasn't violent, as far as I know, but um, they started um, changing their ways, and they took the uh, waste outside the city gates, and they cleaned up uh, the streets and life got a lot better. People weren't dying all the time. It didn't stink all the time. And uh, ever since that time, London has done pretty well. So I look at the parallels to how we're doing things today, and our version of waste today is mostly carbon dioxide and um, synthetic chemicals that are hazardous that we're just spewing out, you know, we're just throwing them out in the street. And it's creating all these problems for us, and we're, we're starting to see the connection. And once enough people see the connection and see the damage is being done, they can say, or we can say, let's stop doing it this way. Right, <laughs> and, and I think uh, way. And we'll I agree, and I think uh, we may be very close, if not already at that point. Um, we have to take a break, but this show is very important so we want everybody to stay with us we have a lot more to discuss corporate talk with charlie eva and very special returning guest ellen moyer we'll be right back care certification in the workplace is the award-winning shared leadership training seminar that will revolutionize your career and position you as the go-to person in your organization regardless of your job description care is the acronym for courage to take action relevant to everyone this means your new workplace mission is to deliver results for the good of the company but not at the expense of others up until now care certification was only available through company sponsored seminars But now you can become CARE certified in the workplace on your own time. Order Module 1 today and begin the transformation. There's unlimited opportunity in the workplace today, provided you have the right strategy. Becoming CARE certified is the right strategy. 
For more information and to order, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. And now, let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. We're into segment two with our guest today, Ellen Moyer. Ellen is a Ph.D. She's an environmental consultant, author, speaker, and she's a writer for the Huffington Post. And if you get a chance, you need to go to her website, ellenmoyerphd.com, and check out her blog because there's so much great information there. And I just, and Ellen, I just love the way you write. It's just easy to understand and it gives us all the details without being too heavy. I mean, it's just a, they're really, really great blog posts. Uh, thank um, you so much, Eva. Oh, you're welcome. I mean it. And her new book is coming out in early December, Our Earth, Our Species, Ourselves, How to Have Fun, Creating a Sustainable World. So, Ellen, you know, you were just saying that, you know, the animal population is growing so huge. I guess that's from farming. I'm wondering, you know, I just had a thought about that. Is is that too many animals? I mean, that would be more animal. That would be more than one animal per person, which just seems like why why so many? Yeah, well, some of them are small. You know, chickens yeah. are pretty small. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a lot of, of animals. And, you know, part of, I guess there are two components to um, getting our our lifestyle back to a sustainable level. One is to reduce our numbers, and then the other is to um, reduce the impact of our lifestyle. So people in developing countries don't have that devastating an impact on the environment per person. Um, Westerners have much more of an impact uh, just because we consume more resources, we generate more waste, and, and we eat more meat. Um, but a lot of the rest of the world is increasing their meat consumption as as um, people's standards of living increase. So uh, <laughs> it's not clear what the answer is. Um, I think a, a big part of the answer is empowering women so they don't uh, have so many children because women who are educated and have more authority and power and um, place in, in the working uh, world uh, opt for having fewer kids. So that's a huge part of the picture. Yeah, and I agree that um, the world is becoming more and more uh, consuming of meat just from globalization. I mean, if you look at like some of the franchises now that are all global, that alone mm-hmm. probably ups all that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's also two components to meat production. There's the the amount, but also the methods and the industrial methods of raising meat in in small concentrated areas in cramped quarters uh, is really uh, bad for the environment. Not to mention for the animals themselves, uh, mm-hmm. because the waste instead of becoming uh, a a soil amendment to put into agricultural fields, it becomes a big contamination problem, and a lot of freshwater uh, bodies in in the world are becoming contaminated with manure from from these industrial uh, operations. So, 
there are much more benign ways to raise animals uh, where you would have animals grazing on larger areas and not be so packed in. Uh, but the trade-off there is that you know a lot of land is being uh, devoted to uh, raising the animals, and there are ecological impacts of that. So it seems that we need to uh, reduce our our meat consumption, especially in the West, where um, we we eat so much more than other countries, and possibly to the point where it's unhealthy. Uh, so people who eat meat three meals a day, you know, that's probably not the best thing to do for your health. So- and actually, that was a question I had. Um, are we, I mean, are, are human beings typically, are we supposed to be carnivores, or are we supposed to be vegetarian? Or is, or, well, or we're, we're, I'm, I'm just wondering. Yeah, we're so versatile. Um, we we cover the whole spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. people in the North Pole they eat practically nothing but meat. Uh, there isn't much plant life up there. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Um, then in other parts of the world, people eat much more vegetables. I think most people eat some meat, but clearly uh, people can do well without eating meat if they're mm-hmm. careful how they put their, their diet together and make sure they get things like vitamin B12 and and other things that are hard to get from, from vegetable sources. So um, we're able to um, deal with a huge variety of, of diets. And that's one reason why we've overrun the, the planet because we can yeah. we can make make a living anywhere. Uh, so um, I, I think in general, uh, as far as prehistory, I think we ate plants and animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was generally the the way we did it. Um, that makes sense. And, and it makes sense too. I hadn't even really thought about, you know, people up in, you know, the North Pole where there isn't any plant life, you know, we're, we're mostly meat eaters. So that makes sense. And then also when you were talking about, you know, when you have these farms and all the waste then gets into the water, it gets into the soil. And maybe this is, maybe I have this wrong, but isn't that one of the reasons, like, you'll see that spinach has E. coli if there happens to be, like, um, a farm next to it that is growing spinach? Is that a possibility, or, or is that, are those two not related? Boy, it sounds plausible. I I don't know, per se, mm-hmm. um, but it, it sounds it sounds very uh, possible. You know, until recently, we... Grew, uh, you, mostly small farms would grow plants and animals and they would take the manure and put it back into the field and they'd grow right. lots of different crops. Uh, but now we are doing these monoculture, um, this monoculture production, which is just so unnatural and it, it causes mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Um, the, the contamination of spinach, that, that does sound like a, uh, uh, one possible way that it happens, mm-hmm. uh, but again, it's it's this monoculture production with these huge facilities, and then distributing 
the food over large areas. So if you have one problem crop up, you can spread it out over the whole country oh, yeah. in yeah. no time. So, um, you know, there are a lot of vulnerabilities there. And with the animal production, one problem that, that's inherent in, in industrial methods is because they're cramming the animals into small uh, spaces, they give them antibiotics, mm -hmm. uh, and now there's a big problem with antibiotic resistance that I think most people have heard about. And most of the antibiotics that we produce go to uh, farm animals, not to humans. So wow. uh, when we do this, we end up with um, pretty big high. So 2 million people become infected with antibiotic-resistant bacteria each year. I mean, a friend of mine died from this, from uh, antibiotic-resistant staff. Uh, she was oh. in a hospital, and she was not that old. She was in her late 50s, early 60s, and died. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. a huge thing. So. We really think, need to you know, I was just going to say, I, I don't think that people realize, I think sometimes people will say, well, I don't take a lot of antibiotics myself, but unless you're eating organic meats, you're getting a lot of antibiotics just from those animals, right? That's right, yeah. 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 If, if you eat meat every day and, it doesn't, and it's not organic, you're taking antibiotics every day. Wow. Yeah, and I don't think that people really realize that. And what that does is, um, you know, you're not letting the animal's own body kind of work on its own to get rid of all that, you know, because I, isn't our body kind of set up to um, resist different bacteria that we are uh, exposed to? And so is an animal, right? But when you put in the antibiotics, it doesn't let the body do that, and then we're ingesting all of that. That's crazy. Yeah, it really is amazing, uh, and a lot has been learned about all this just in recent years. Uh, when when we take antibiotics or give them to animals, we kill not only harmful bacteria that mm. are are beneficial bacteria would, in most cases, fend, fight off on their own, but we kill our beneficial bacteria. And we're learning how much we rely on these beneficial bacteria. You know, we have 10 times as many bacterial cells in our bodies as human cells. So um, this one doctor, Perlmutter, um, he likens it to offloading uh, a lot of our DNA to what he calls the cloud, which is mm -hmm. uh, the... Um, the bacteria that are mostly in our gut because they have far more far more numerous genes than we do and more cells and we have like hundreds or thousands of different species of bacteria and they kind of have this little ecosystem going there and when we take antibiotics we disrupt that and uh, all kinds of impacts can can happen, and we're just learning about that now. It's fairly recent. Uh, Dr. Perlmutter, um, I think he's a psychiatrist, and he remarks that he's amazed that 
someone uh, studying psychiatry would end up focusing on the gut. Mm. <laughs> but that's where his work has taken him. And uh, wow. with with the Human Genome pro- Project and sequencing the human genes, now they're sequencing um, what's called the microbiome, which is the consortium of bacteria that each of us has. And, and it's very individual uh, what... Um, the populations of bacteria. So the, the antibiotics problem is um, is really important on a number of levels, but it, it definitely has health consequences uh, for us. Yeah, no, it's, you know, that's such an interesting topic, and I think so many people aren't even aware of it. And, you know, the point that you brought up about you know, we have bacteria and some of it is good and we don't want to get rid of it, but yet an antibiotic is just going to get rid of all the bacteria. Now, this is great. So we have so much more to discuss. We're going to go ahead and take our next break. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva and our guest today, Ellen Moyer, PhD. We'll be right back. Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on TalkZone. Okay, welcome back. Um, We are talking with Ellen Moya, Ph.D., who has written multiple books and has a new one coming out on the environment. Um, and we want to talk about that, Ellen. But um, first, I just wanted to say, like, before the break, when we were talking about some stuff about antibiotics and animals. And I guess, you know, I never made the connection about um, bacteria-resistant germs that we get as a result of eating meats over time that have been raised with um, antibiotics Mm -hmm. and that adds to that resistance Um, and that should be on your first page of your book (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not sure that that's the exact mechanism I think it's more that when the animals are raised with all these antibiotics, that um, bugs can can uh, mutate there, mm-hmm. you know, where the animals are raised. And um, because nature uh, always adapts, and bacteria, they live a couple hours or a couple days. So there are a lot of cell divisions, and there are a lot of chances to mutate. And so if these animals are getting antibiotics, there is a chance that a couple here and there are going to mutate and be able to withstand those antibiotics. And so I think it's more a case of them growing, you know, where the animals are and then getting released. And Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but, you know, maybe they get into the food too. Um, uh, but I, I think it's 
it may be more the the former. When we talk about organic, um, does organic mean that there are no antibiotics in the, yep, given to the animals? Yeah, that's one of the rules of organic is you can't use antibiotics. So I never eat meat that is not organically grown, um, partly for antibiotics, but also <clears throat> if you can't feed animals antibiotics, you have to raise them in better conditions. You can't just make up for filthy, crowded conditions by, you know, giving them antibiotics. You have to raise them more humanely. So for me, um, that's really important too. Um, well, you know, you, you, I'm sure we did talk about organic uh, meats the last time around when you were on, but I didn't really get it the way I'm getting it now. And I want to say that I don't think I'm ever going to eat meat that's not organic. Um, <laughs> and you wonder what happens in the restaurants and stuff, right? It's hard to find, um, but there there is there are some restaurants that have organic options. And when people demand things, uh, the marketplace responds. So yeah. Yeah. Um, if uh, if everybody or if a lot more people said, I'm not eating that stuff unless it's organic, um, people will hear it and they will make yeah. adjustments. I, I don't think um, most of us get it, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Well, so, you know, you, it, there's, you're not supposed to get it, and the food industry doesn't want you to get it, and that's right. why a lot of these <laughs> things are not labeled. You know, I'm a big proponent of knowing what's in our food. So I really think that when people go to the grocery store, <clears throat> they should have a label on everything they that explains what is in the food, including things like antibiotics or hormones or um, whatever, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I don't think we see that right now for sure. Um, and this is, the, is this the type of information that you share in this new book that's coming out, Our Earth, Our Species, Ourselves, How to Have Fun Creating a Sustainable World? Yeah, I have a lot of um, recommendations for things that we we could do to empower ourselves and have more information and be able to make more informed decisions. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of pushback, but we have the power of the purse um, because we can spend our money where we want to spend it, <clears throat> and we also have the power of the vote. So um, the we, you and me, are in the driver's seat here. So mm. we can say how we want things to be, and they will be that way. <laughs> it is a very concerning conversation, and, you know, um, a little on the downside as well when we talk about, you know, the the land and the soil and the and what we consume. Mm-hmm. Tell me how it's possible that we can actually have fun creating a sustainable world. <laughs> well, there are a lot of levels to it, um, and one way is well, just the topic we've been discussing: food. Mm. You know, if we eat organic food. 
we automatically help the environment because we're we're not promoting pesticide use. Uh, we're not um, contaminating water, uh, or at least anywhere to nearly the degree of industrial food. Uh, we're reducing greenhouse gas emissions. You know, we're just making a huge difference, and we're healthier. So when we're healthier, we feel better. So that's one sense of having fun is just being healthier and just mm-hmm. feeling good. You know, when you're feeling sick, you're not, not having fun, you're not being very productive, um, and yeah. you know, you're no, not I, living your dreams or anything like that. I see that now. I get it. And um, this is but good also, to know. you know, another aspect of it is, is that people need to decide what's important to them. You know, we just run around frazzled going from here to there. And do we really take the time to say, you know, what really matters? Is it, is it the new car or the bigger house or is it, uh, leaving a, a good planet for our kids? You know, what are the priorities? And when we figure out what our priority, priorities are and then live our lives in accordance with that and try to help, uh, in the areas that we think are important, it's not really fun. That's more like satisfaction. It's more like uh, having meaning in your life and feeling like you're contributing and you're um, living according to your goals. So yeah. that is kind of another aspect of what I'm calling fun. And I'm, I probably need to change that word a bit because fun is kind of, it, it's, a little too light. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, no, I'm not sure. I mean, I get it now, right? And I, yeah. it does. It, everything improves. Everything from your in your self pride to your participating, you're contributing, you're feeling better, um, and you know. And it does become fun. It does. Life becomes fun, right? Yeah. Um, and also, you know, when when we join with others in trying to make things better, you know, we're very social animals. When we're working with other people <clears throat> toward a common cause, and especially that helps others, uh, other people, other species, you know, other generations, it feels really good. You know, when you look at uh, pictures of <clears throat> uh, the Native Americans protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline, mm-hmm. You know, they're fighting a really uh, destructive project, but, you know, often you see some happiness there, you know, because people feel good getting together mm-hmm. and making their voices heard. So <clears throat> I'm not portraying it all as lighthearted, all, you know, great time, but there is a certain uh, component in there of meaningful action uh, with like-minded others, then that really can be, um, if not fun, at least satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I have to, um, and I think as we move forward, we should probably update, upgrade, and really work on the organic industry, making sure that it truly is adhering to all of those uh, practices, because that's really the hope, right? Well, the good news there is that there are strict controls 
<clears throat> and inspections on organic. So I'm confident. Uh, they also uh, do testing on people who eat organic food, and indeed they have much lower levels of pesticides. So um, it's not a scam. Um, That's good to know. Yeah, if it's certified organic, um, I feel like you can take that to the bank. Now, um, uh, you know what? That's good enough for me, uh, coming from an expert like you. What about, I have two other things, right? We get that. What about water? How do we make sure that our water is safe to drink with everything we discussed coming from the ground, right? Well, water's a whole, <laughs> a whole different topic. Um, the best thing we can do about water is to keep it clean, keep contaminants out of it. And it's, it's hard because, uh, originally the main contaminants that we dealt with were things like bacteria and protozoa, <coughs> uh, excuse me, uh, microorganisms that would make you sick. Uh, so that's where environmental engineering started, actually, was with uh, safe drinking water and wastewater treatment. So in uh, killing off the bacteria and the harmful microorganisms, we often use chlorine, and mm. that can uh, create other chemicals when it reacts with um, organic matter just from like decaying leaves or just regular <clears throat> organic matter, it can create uh, compounds that are yeah, you know, uh, unhealthy. So we need to filter those out. Um, when I lived upstate in the past, we had a well and we had the well tested. And I remember the person that was testing the well ended up pouring bleach, I believe, mm-hmm, right yeah. down the well as if I mean, yeah. it didn't hmm. make sense, but, you know, and then that eventually is going to make its way into my drinking water, but they said no. So go oh, figure. Well, that's <laughs> well, they probably put it in the well and then pumped it out later, um, but they probably didn't get it all out. Uh, yeah, God. I have a well, and I don't have issues with contaminants. I've done lots of testing, but... Actually, the the water goes into a storage tank in the basement <clears throat> that has a membrane, a plastic membrane uh, that contacts the water, and that leaches a plasticizer out <laughs> into the water. Jeez. So uh, uh, I I use a Brita filter to remove that. Jeez, wait a second. Oh, good. I'm glad that you use Brita because that's what we've got. <laughs> um, this is um. You know what? I'm telling everyone. Get smarter on this topic. We need to learn from Ellen. Uh, the website is Ellen Moyer, E-L-L-E-N-M-O-Y-E-R-P-H-D.com. There's a lot of information there. We're not done yet. We have one more break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Charlie Labosco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years' experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person, building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. 
Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. We're talking with our guest, Ellen Moyer, and we're discussing the environment and how we can create a sustainable world. What are we going to have for dinner now? I, I, I don't know. Something <laughs> we'll organic, make it to, I hope. Something organic, exactly. And so I'm thinking in the last segment, maybe we can hit a little bit about GMOs because... A lot of people talk about GMOs. I'm not sure that everybody really understands them, and I'm not sure that um, everything is labeled properly either if you decide that you don't want to eat GMOs. Oh, they're not labeled uh, in the U.S., but in 64 mm. countries they are. Wow. And um, 38 countries ban them uh, outright, so yeah. the United States is really in the dark ages here as far as GMOs, uh, it's probably important to say what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to lose track of what exactly they are. <clears throat> and basically, they are organisms that are created by taking the genes of one species and merging them with the genes of another species. So this would not happen in uh, nature. It wouldn't happen in selective breeding, you know, the regular type of uh, agriculture that we do. Uh, right. Like <clears throat> they'll put a tomato gene or a fish gene in a tomato, something like that. Just bizarre stuff. And there was a recent uh, uh, federal fight over GMO labeling because industry, the food industry doesn't want people to have the right to know if their food contains GMOs. Uh, mm. A lot of state laws uh, were in one stage or another of of being passed, and three of them had been passed uh, requiring labeling. And uh, Vermont uh, had a law that actually went into effect in July of this year. Uh, but the food industry got this um, GMO labeling law passed that looks like a uh, GMO labeling law, but really isn't. The main point of it was to kill all the state laws, which it did. Um, wow. And the the new labeling law um, exempts many foods and has these uh, underhanded uh, methods that can be used to label the foods. For example, uh, one acceptable way to label GMOs in foods, those few that need to be labeled at all, is to use those QR codes, you know, those, um, uh, yeah. you know, those codes that you scan, right. what they, what they expect to, um, put those QR codes on the food. And then people are supposed to walk around with cell phones and with internet connection and scan the foods and find out if there are GMOs in them. Well, that's ridiculous, crazy. right? Crazy. Yeah. Well, crazy, and Reverend Jesse Jackson uh, thinks it's discriminatory. He wrote a letter to President mm. Obama saying this raises serious questions of discrimination and also mm-hmm. um, equal protection of the law. 
because uh, almost a third of Americans uh, don't have smartphones and right. uh, Internet access. And it's mostly low-income, elderly, uh, mm-hmm. minority communities, rural communities. Uh, so there is a discrimination uh, aspect to this whole thing. Uh, so I don't think it's over, though, because uh, some of, some nonprofit organizations, I believe, are going to sue on the basis of that it's blatantly discriminatory. <laughs> so you would hope that they would win, but the food industry is so powerful in the United yeah. States. Uh, it's very unlike this in other other countries. So that's kind of a capsule summary about, well, I guess one other thing that should be mentioned is uh, most GMOs are created uh, to withstand heavy applications of pesticides. That was actually my question. I was wondering if a GMO is created to reduce pesticides, but you're saying it's created to withstand a pesticide, which is different. Yeah, but there are also GMOs that are created that make their own pesticide uh, called the BT toxin. <clears throat> and the thought there was that, hey, if the plant makes its own pesticide, less will be used overall. Um, but I believe that those, uh, even those plants are still sprayed with herbicides to kill weeds. So that's a that's a big deal. Uh, the Roundup that's sprayed on a lot of GMO crops <clears throat> um, is creating a lot of environmental problems. And the World Health Organization last year uh, said that they classify the main ingredient in Roundup as a probable human carcinogen. So, oh wow! Uh, I think uh, things are going to hit the fan <laughs> with. Mm-hmm with uh, Roundup, uh, but there, there's a lot of variety in what's done with GMOs, but, so I'm somewhat uh, simplifying to say that, that most of it is for um, pesticide use, but um, I think that is the case, like GMO soy and GMO corn um, constitutes 90% of those crops, and those are huge crops. You know, corn and yeah. soy are the major components of junk food. It's going to sit in everything. Animal, animal feed. So yeah. um, it's, it's really a giant uh, uh, volume of, of activity there. And if you eat, so if you eat organic meat, that, does that guarantee that the feed that the animal is eating is non-GMO or you yeah. still may get GMO? Oh, it is non-GMO. Yeah. The, okay. um, the animals are not allowed to eat GMO feed. Now, okay. uh, there, there can be some drift that occurs, you know, just wind. Yeah, I had a question um, about that. Yeah. Yeah, so you can find a little bit of GMOs in, in organic food, just like you can find some pesticide that drifted in, in organic food. But it's still, the levels are way down. Uh, so, yeah, organic food is not perfect. Um, if we lived in a clean world, it would be, but, you know, 
right. is surrounded by a lot of contamination. So it's the best we can do, and it is a heck of a lot better. So that is something that people can do uh, that really helps themselves and the world is to eat organic. It's, <clears throat> it's too bad that it's more expensive. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one reason it is right. more expensive is because of the subsidies that go toward industrial food. Uh, ah, so okay. uh, we need to take care of those subsidies and maybe give them to organic instead of corn and soy. <laughs> right. No, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I just assumed that it was more expensive because it's the volume is smaller that it's produced in. So I just assumed that. Yeah, that's a uh, factor, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and as more people demand organic, uh, the price comes down because of the volume. So people are really coming a long way with developing organic methods, and um, they're getting yields that are really close to uh, industrial yields, and they maintain the soil health so it's more sustainable on the longer term. So that is something, I mean, we should uh, put in a positive note here that people can make a huge difference just in how they shop for food and, and what they decide to eat, uh, helping their own health and helping environmental health at the same time. So it's, it's a wonderful thing um, people have to eat anyway. They're making a difference whether they like it or not. So right. <laughs> they can uh, choose to make a positive difference. No, I agree. This has been a great lesson. No, yeah, Ellen, you're so good. Thank you so much again for sharing with our audience. It's always so insightful. We always learn something every time. Yeah. So thank you. And have a great night. Yep. And when the book comes out, let us know. Yes. Okay, I definitely will. I mean, this is a huge topic, food uh, especially. So we we kind of covered a lot of ground, but we could even cover some more sometime. Yes, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Take care. And again, everyone, that was Ellen Moyer. Ellen's a PhD, environmental consultant, author, and speaker, and you can learn more about her at her website at ellenmoyerphd.com and absolutely check out the blog. Thanks again, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Bye, Have guys. a great week. Go organic. <laughs>